Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage moving and Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football on this Easter edition of the show. You're with Rob Gilbert and Mike Ledgley to run the rule over the past week in the World Game. First edition news with Willem van Denver in shortly and during the show we'll be joined by our former ITN journal turned pundit Derek Dyson while our good mate Dean Hennessy takes a well-earned break over the Easter holiday. As always, there's plenty going on in the world of football with the European scene focused on World Cup qualifiers these past couple of weeks but with the W League reaching a crescendo with Sydney pipping Melbourne victory for the Premiership this week. We'll kick off the show talking to Sky Blues defender, Premiership player, rising star, and she'll be playing in the finals this weekend, hoping to defend her side to the grand final, Ali Green. And close on their heels, of course, is the Brisbane Roar, who will have to manage the departure of Emily Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorne as they negotiate the finals. Their gaffer, Jake Goodship, will join us to talk about his team's chances. And we'll shift the focus of the back end of the opening hour to the A-League to wrap up that hour with a man who's made a huge difference returning to Carl Robinson's squad, the red and black, the Western Sydney Wanderers, Mitchell Duke, in the second hour. Willem will kick off with second edition news and the latest in Socceroos and Matilda Central. And after a fortnight of World Cup qualifying, as I mentioned, the action in Europe just hotted up in the past 24 hours. We're going to wrap it all up with our good friend and extended conversation with Rob Tanner. We're going to talk, first of all, the World Cup qualifiers in Europe, and then we'll talk to Rob uh, a little further about the resumption of the Premier League and what the stories will look like there. We'll wrap it up with stoppage time with a look at uh, uh, a great topic that every football fan loves, the Minnows uh, qualifying for the big tournaments. Of course, North Macedonia, the giant killing North Macedonia. We've got a special treat at the back end with a, a mate of mine who's just North Macedonia through and through. Edge, um, I've really enjoyed these uh, World Cup qualifiers. No crowds, but um, you know there was a real sense, a palpable sense of the tension as I was watching the score um, in that Germany game. I just couldn't help it. I just jumped onto the Optus app, and uh, you know, and 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 there were chances late. There were six minutes of stoppage time, but um, you know, it's just a classic football story. It is a classic football story. We love a boil over, don't we? Uh, everybody does that. And, uh, you know, these World Cup qualifiers in the context of what's happening in Europe with COVID are important. And uh, the fact that they've been able to get them away and uh, and uh, play them against each other is uh, pretty important in the scheme of um, everything that's happening in Europe. But uh, this week in Australia, Rob, um, it's all been about women's football, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, the Women's World Cup. We've been leading into it for the last couple W-League of weeks. W League semi-final, yeah. Sam Kerr leading the charge in the European Women's Champions League, and let's talk Betty to Wolfsburg in the semi-final. That's right, and let's uh, have a listen to Willem, who's got all the news. G'day guys, good to be back for another week, and the Dutch back on track in the World Cup qualifiers as well, just by the by there, Rob. Uh, it has a wiping of the brow there, Willem. Yes, of course. It has been all about the women's game this week, Michael, and that'll be reflected in my first few stories. First up, the nine host cities for the 2023 Women's World Cup have been selected, with Newcastle, Launceston and Christchurch missing the cut. The tournament will commence at Auckland's Eden Park, with the final to be played at Stadium Australia in Sydney. Sydney is the only city that will host matches across two venues, while in Melbourne, Amy Park has been preferred to the MCG. Rob, Launceston put forward a not a rectangular ground, a ground better suited for Aussie rules and cricket, so they can perhaps consider themselves not overly unlucky to miss out, but Newcastle are definitely the big losers. They're a great football state with a great football ground, so they will be unfortunate to be missing out. Yeah, exactly. 
frankly, uh, it's it's a real shame when when you know the regional centres miss out. Uh, I, I, I look to be honest, I feel less sorry for Newcastle than I do for, for Tassie because uh, you know they just always seem to be on the rough end of the stick, and uh, and to to have a World Cup hosted in Launceston would have been a wonderful thing. Of course, uh, you know the Melbourne bid uh, as uh, you know what we. Um, waxed lyrical about at the time didn't put forward the MCG they couldn't come up with a, a discussion uh, uh, to uh, even get Marvel Stadium into the into the conversation so you know the fact that we've only got the Melbourne Rectangular Stadium hosting it in the southern capital is a bit of an indictment unfortunately and it pretty much gifts the big games to uh, uh, to, to Sydney and um, and obviously um, to uh, to New Zealand as well so uh, look uh, this is a story we'll thrash out over time as we start to see things play out but um, but look, the good news is we've got a World Cup coming up in two years' time. Fantastic news uh, for Tasmanian government. Build yourself a rectangular stadium and you would have had a chance in Hobart, not Launceston. And for Melbourne, uh, the rectangular stadium in Melbourne is good, but it's been built with special foundations to build another tier. Yes, Edge, I know that. And but we I... could have done that on the, ba- on the basis mm. of the economic impact associated with hosting a semi-final. Yes. That could have been done. There could have been another 15,000 put onto, onto but that the, stadium. But that's correct. I remember well at the time because... Um, you know, as anyone who listens to this knows, I've, I cover a bit of rugby league and rugby union. Um, what they didn't factor in was the fact that the entire shell system was not uh, built uh, in a fashion that it was in pieces. So it would have to be destroyed in its entirety and then rebuilt. So that was, a, um, you know, on the one hand, a forward-thinking um, uh, design of the, the foundations because they, they were contractually not allowed to build a stadium that was uh, close to the capacity of, uh, of the Dockland Stadium, Willem. Yeah, I was going to say that springs to mind that there was a deal in place with Docklands that there couldn't mm. be another stadium above 30,000 or thereabouts so that's why Amy Park was just a little bit smaller. Moving on, the federal government has reportedly told Football Australia their $275 million legacy request is ambitious and is highly unlikely to be met in full. James Johnson has hit out at the government's funding allocation, arguing their gold medal focus overlooks the community, health and multicultural benefits football provides. The IAS has in turn pointed to their 43% increase in Matilda's funding during the last Olympic cycle. Michael, of course, John Wiley and the winning edge of one of your great bugbears. You can go there if you like, but it's not about... The Matildas, from a football perspective, that $275 million, the vast majority of that is about the facilities and the grassroots, is it not? So I think the AIS's argument is a little bit moot. Is that fair? It is. Uh, it is moot. Sport Australia is now the, uh, the all-encompassing uh, authority on these things associated with funding. Uh, John Wiley's no longer there. We've got a new chairwoman in place, um, and I hope Winning Edge gets the boot. It the, was the most shocking sport policy uh, implementation in our histories, in our in our nation's sporting history, it'll it'll uh, go down as John Wiley's greatest failure. It is a joke-winning edge, and James Johnson's right to call it out. To the W League, Sydney FC have won the Premier's Plate for the third time, holding off Melbourne Victory in a 2-1 win at Cromer Park on Wednesday. Needing only a point to seal their first plate since 2010-11, Sydney took care of the job thanks to goals from Teresa Polias and Princess Sabini. Princess Sabini, easy enough! Put Sydney FC up 2-0 and maybe, just maybe, a Premier's plate in their grasp. Sydney will now host... Sorry, I'll do it again. Sydney will now host Canberra at Coggera next Monday with Brisbane to host the victory at Lions Stadium in Queensland the night prior. Michael, you expressed disappointment throughout the week that this game was, of course, played on uh, a synthetic surface after it was rescheduled during the washout the week prior and also, again, super frustratingly, more issues with the broadcast. Yeah, more issues with the broadcast. The stream uh, on KO was just simply not 
uh, not up to standard. It was buffering. Um, uh, that Princess Sabini goal uh, was was missing. Um, yeah, and, and Melbourne Victory uh, fans have uh, well and surely copped the uh, the streaming problems because they had Tuba Man and they had that uh, situation when they played Brisbane up in Brisbane too where there was no crowd noise uh, or, or replays because of some sort of technical fault. So um, not good. Um, in, a, in the climate we're in at the moment uh, about... Uh, uh, equality and women's uh, place in our world. Um, it, it's hugely disappointing that the biggest W League game for probably five or six seasons was relegated off the Foxtel platform. So you couldn't watch it on your TV. Uh, you had to watch it on KO or, or through the My Football app on your device. The stream was dodgy. And the pitch, uh, a 10-year-old synthetic pitch at Cromer Park, uh, the ball bouncing around like a tennis ball. Um, I felt desperately sorry for the players. They deserved better. Uh, having said that, congratulations to Sydney FC. A fantastic performance. Their first Premier's played in quite a while. They'll go in hot favourites for the finals, and rightly so. And, uh, and the finals will be on ABC, Foxtel and on grass. Thank God for that. Over to Europe, Sam Kerr has hit the score sheet again as Chelsea progressed to the semi-finals of the UEFA Champions League. Kerr scored her second of the tie against Wolfsburg on 31 minutes in a 3-0 win, with Chelsea progressing 5-1 on aggregate. Barcelona have also reached the last four, although Lyon's second leg against PSG has been rescheduled until the 18th of April after a COVID outbreak within the squad. So hopefully all is well for Ellie Carpenter and her teammates there, and we look forward to them hopefully progressing. Isn't it exciting to have one and potentially two Australians right at the pointy end of a huge continental competition? This is a hell of a ride we're on with Sam. She scored another couple of goals midweek in the uh, Women's Super League as well, and they're looking highly likely to lift uh, that piece of silverware. Listening to the BBC coverage, um, this morning uh, in and around the uh, the World Cup qualifiers they, they really spent quite a bit of time focusing on, on that Chelsea win and uh, and the, the squad and, and one of the first players that they mentioned who'd been drafted in was Sam Kerr, Peniel Harden of course uh, uh, she played for Wolfsburg last year and and their best player uh, who, who made the final as well of uh, of uh, the, um, the, the, the Women's Champions League and only one uh, English side, Arsenal, have, have ever won it um, in, the, in the history of the competition so, you know the uh, the English sentiment uh, being the uh, you know the the founders of the game would uh, would not sit comfortably with that. So uh, even though uh, you know uh, most club fans wouldn't be happy to see Chelsea or you know an opposition team win anything, um, they would love to see uh, an English team win something. And staying in Europe, ratification of UEFA's new Champions League format has been delayed, with a decision now expected on April 19. The proposal, widely credited to Edwin van der Sar, would see the group stages scrapped in favour of a 10-match first phase among 36 teams. That's an increase of four, of course. While still highly likely to go ahead from 2024, the format's been met with strong opposition, particularly from the European League's organisation. Under the system, wildcard entrants would see the two highest non-ranked qualifiers allowed in. So in this instance, that would see Liverpool, who were down in seventh in the Premier League, qualify. So it's just, uh, on first glance, the big clubs making it harder for themselves to miss out by installing these little trapdoors. Michael, not having a go at Liverpool there, but that is just how it's playing out. All right, well, um, well done, um, Edge. We're going to talk uh, W League for the next uh, half hour or so. We're going to talk to Ali Green from Sydney FC, the uh, Premiership-winning Sydney FC, and Jake Goodship after that from Brisbane Raw, who uh, they just might spoil the party for uh, for Sydney FC the way that, that they're going. And uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he's got to say. The gaffer at the uh, Raw. All right, stick around. A busy next hour of the show coming up on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? 
Brands for Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial... Yes, this is Box to Box. And as we said off the top of the show, it's all about the W League this week. The uh, uh, crescendo was Wednesday night where the uh, all-conquering Sydney FC managed to uh, hold off uh, the visitors' Melbourne victory to win the Premiership plate. They go into the uh, finals this weekend as the favourites and uh, someone who is very happy with herself right now is uh, a local girl. She's a defender with Sydney FC, Ali Green. How are you, Ali? Very excited? Yeah, very excited. Um, it's been a pretty exciting morning to wake up to, to know that we've um, tucked the premiership under our belt and it's been a long time coming. So, yeah, really happy. Yeah, it has been. And uh, and as a 22-year-old, to, to you know, to win a title like this uh, is, um, you know, it, it comes very early in your career, but... Uh, uh, you've um, you've been a stalwart of the, in defence uh, this year, letting uh, you know the, the girls up front taking uh, you know all the star turns, uh, scoring the goals. But uh, uh, but it's been uh, you know a wonderful uh, season for for you and your and your teammates. Yeah, no, we've had a really good season. Um, you know, it was a bit up in the air at the start. We didn't know if we were even going to get to the older player season. So we're pretty happy that we've made it this far and. For us to end up premiers has um, been a goal for us from the start, and we've come come close for a couple of seasons now. So to finally get the win was, um, yeah, a big goal for us, and we're really happy with it. And to be able to have played the whole season injury free, and that was my personal goal. So. Yeah, it's been really good. Ali, um, despite all of Sydney FC's recent success in the W League, you hadn't won the Premier's Plate for quite a while. So, um, And you you got miles in front on the table with about four games to go and then um, you had a loss and a, and a draw. And did you feel the pressure build? Um, and what was it like in the lead-up to the, to the game against Victory? Because they had uh, put together sort of seven unbeaten games and they were building momentum. So um, did you feel that this game had more pressure than normal? If anything, it was you know the biggest game of the season so far and probably for the league so as you said we had a bit of a lead um, with about four games to go and unfortunately had a we had a loss in Adelaide away and then a challenging game in Canberra where we got the draw and got a point which was much needed um, but yeah heading into the victory game for us it's been 10 years since we've won the premiership and as a club it's been our main goal for quite some seasons so um, heading into this game it was do or die really for us even though we had already cemented our semi-final spot but um, yeah I mean they had been good momentum for them and um, for us it was really important to just stick with what we knew and to get the win. And you personally, Ali, you've, you've had another fantastic season. You've really cemented, cemented your place uh, in the team and as one of the, the frontliners of Sydney FC. Um, it's obviously the uncertainty with COVID and uh, international players not uh, being as readily available as they have in the past. Um, did you see this? Uh, you obviously mentioned in one of the early answers that you were looking to play every game. And did you... Do you now feel comfortable that uh, when it comes to, you know, the team lineup being announced that you're going to be in it every week? Yeah, I mean, Sydney FC has always been quite a competitive club and to remain at the top like we do in consecutive seasons, it means that there's players always pushing for their spot. And for me personally, it's been a battle to submit my personal um, position for the past four seasons, which I've been at the club. But that's because you're up against Matildas, you're up against internationals. Stars. So, um, for you to earn your spot and cement it is a really good um, achievement in itself. And 
and to be able to support your team and end up premiers, it's even better. We know that Cromer Park is your uh, NPL home home deck. Uh, you play with Manly on that surface all the time. On the day that uh, the host cities have been announced for the FIFA Women's World Cup and after the 2015 edition, FIFA... Um, made a ruling that there would be no longer any international women's football played on synthetic surfaces. So uh, there was a bit of talk on uh, on social media last night that the surface wasn't uh, as up to scratch for such an important game. What's your view of um, synthetic surfaces and playing uh, one week on them and then and then the next few off them? Um, do you have a view on 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 that? And um, obviously you're used to it, but. Uh, what do you think about uh, such a big game being scheduled on, on a surface like that? Having it as my home ground for Manly United, um, I've played there since I was about nine years old. So, you know, I'm going to have a biased opinion to say that the support and the community that come out to watch us is always fantastic and we would never doubt that. Um, you know, with COVID pretty much restraining us from the use of other fields and the broadcasting have a big deal in that. So um, for us to find a... Um, field that was able to play this postponed game, which was originally meant to be at Cogra. Um, I think the club did a fantastic effort just to secure a ground and um, with such late notice, unfortunately it was um, had to be played on synthetic, but in the end, if it meant that we could get that round done and um, move on to the semi-finals, I think, you know, despite it being quite challenging to play on that field when we don't train or play on synthetic much during the season, I think, yeah, it was still an important thing to to finish the game and get the round completed. So credit to the club for getting it done. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Ali Green, a member of the Premiership winning Sydney FC side ahead of the uh, W League finals this weekend. Well, you've had a good look at Canberra, haven't you? Just uh, um, almost uh, a week ago, you played uh, in a nil-nil draw in, in Canberra. Um, they have uh, an experienced team. They've got a good uh, a good front third. Um, you must be looking forward to um, uh, the, the weekend's match and... Uh, and do you think that extra game that you've had compared to Canberra in preparation will, will have any impact? Yeah, it would be a big challenging game coming against Canberra again, even though we played them only a week ago. Um, it was a competitive match and it was quite like for like on the field. And um, we were lucky to come away with the draw and get that crucial point that helped us get the premiership in the end. But um, yeah, I think this game on Monday will be quite challenging and we're up for the battle and it will mean that, you know, we get our spot in the grand final, which is our next big aim. So, yeah, excited for it, for sure. Amante Juric, uh, your coach, is a, a seasoned professional. He's a socceroo in his own right. He's committed his uh, coaching career to the women's game and uh, is a, a level-headed leader insofar as uh, you know, your uh, experience with coaches. Uh, how, how would you describe Ante as a mentor of your, of your team? Yeah, Ante and I have been together at the club since um, the same time. So we've spent the um, past four seasons together now and, um, you know, he's had his own challenges with me and I've had to battle some injuries to get my spot with him. So um, it's been it's been a fun challenge and, um, you know, we're, we've got a good friendship now and we understand each other and how he coaches and how I play. So, um, yeah, all in all, he's, he's been a big part of my development and the, and the most important part of my career so far. So, yeah, I'm forever grateful that he's given me this opportunity this season to play some consistent games and get that personal goal achieved myself. And Ali, I, 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 you've tempted me too much by saying he's had his own challenges with you. So, um, just you know, it's only us listening here. There's no one else tuning in right now. Just, just <laughs> don't believe me, Ali. A little Whatever bit about do, don't believe me. What those challenges were. 
Yeah, so um, my first season at Sydney, I was um, injured with an ankle and um, the second season I was not going to get a contract because I hadn't played much game time the season before. So um, to get that under my belt and get that secured again was a big big achievement and um, from there I could just work on, you know, getting fit again and proving myself to him and in the end I have and it's taken a couple of years but yeah, I've always been up against Matildas in my set, uh, in my actual position and um, also international. So, yeah, it's been a couple of seasons of proving myself and I think I finally got there and cemented my spot this season, which is, um, yeah, really rewarding for myself. Yeah, well done. Well, you've been at the club since 2017 and, you you know, you've, uh, um, you, you have had your injury uh, history, but uh, Ante's a, a man who has had his own experiences with injuries, any professional sports person had, so you've endured and you've worked through it and now you're going to play in the finals. You won a premiership plate and uh, you might be going to a grand final. We know you're out and about. Um, you're, as anyone who's listening probably wondering, uh, what are those sounds in the background? Well, uh, Ali's about to meet a mum and a brother to celebrate the premiership uh, this weekend. So, unfortunately, no champagne just yet because uh, I don't think Andy would be too happy with you uh, necking uh, a half a bottle of uh, Moet and Chandon before uh, a big match this weekend. Yeah, not yet. Unfortunately, that game was on a Wednesday, so we couldn't celebrate too much. Yet alone, nothing was really open at 10 o'clock at night on a Wednesday. So we'll have to keep those celebrations for, um, for the next big goal, and that's obviously winning the grand final. So that's all right. We'll, we'll hold off. Yeah, good on you, Ali. Well, listen, uh, thank you so much. You mentioned Matilda's. Um, you know that that's an option for, uh, for for you if you keep this kind of form going up. You've represented Australia in the under twenty, so uh, you know at such a young age, um, all these uh, options are available for you in the future. We'll keep watching the star rise, and uh, and, and good luck with the uh, the finals this weekend. All right, thank you so much for having me. And uh, and just tell those uh, waiters in that restaurant that um, they want to watch out uh, uh, with those uh, plates. It sounds like there's going to be a bit of damage there pretty soon with all the noise they're making in the background, Ellie. I know, I can <laughs> tell you what. Hopefully it's good food. Good on you. Ali Green from Sydney FC. All right, stick around. We're going to stick with the W League theme. We are going to talk to the second place getters, uh, Brisbane Raw, the W League side, just uh, motoring along there. Everyone was watching uh, that uh, premiership decider, but meanwhile, uh, Brisbane had pretty much uh, locked away that second spot. Jake Goodchip uh, is in charge there, and we will talk to him next on Box to Box. Box to Box. For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now we've talked about uh, that blockbuster between uh, Sydney FC and uh, Melbourne Victory that brought the Premiership plate to. A decider, but uh, a team that was sitting there in second spot all along and holds on to second spot regardless of that result is the uh, Brisbane Roar, and we welcome the coach of the Roar, Jake Goodchip, to the show. How are you, Jake? I'm good. It's been a fantastic uh, season for Brisbane Roar this this season. It's a fitting result that you've been able to secure a home final. Is that the way you see it? Yeah, I think it's been a successful season. I think if you look at at stats and and records, I think a number has been broken. Um, obviously, Emily Gilnick winning uh, Golden Boot, first time in the club's history. We've scored the most goals we've scored in the season, um, and we've played exciting football while doing that. So, yeah, we're happy and, and we're ecstatic to play at home in a, in a semi-final on Sunday. It's going to be a, um, a an important game. Last time you played Melbourne Victory, um, you scored a 6-0 victory, and um, a lot of people... Um, 
think that was out of um, a, a sort of a, an aberration from Melbourne Victory. How do you see it and how do you see their form since that game and, and what are you expecting from Melbourne Victory considering they've had two games in the last uh, five days? Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough game. I think that 6-0 was, was, uh, it was coming for us in terms of the first four draws prior to that and, and Victory happened in the next game. So it was one of them games where everything rubbed off for us and, and, and it worked out fantastically well. I think since then, Victory have only conceded three goals or two goals off on my head defensively. They've had seven clean sheets. Um, so they're going to be a tough outfit, I think. And I don't expect anything different from the Jeff Hopkins team. He's a, a good coach, well-experienced, and he sets up his team very, very well and they're really well-organised. So, yeah, expecting a, a tough game on Sunday, obviously missing Polks uh, and M. But we, we have full trust and confidence in in the players that will, will step up on Sunday. So, Jake, uh, you took over a quality squad from Mel Andriata a couple of years ago. Uh, she led uh, the Raw to uh, consecutive top two finishes and uh, and the club's third premiership in 2017-18. And, uh, and she, uh, she's gone off to greener pastures in the, uh, the Matilda setup. But uh, uh, but you've, you've pretty much seamlessly taken this over. And to, to finish second uh, this season is a, is a, a you know, highly creditable performance for an ever-improving uh, level of uh, competition in the W League. But... But uh, uh, insofar as the two players that are leaving, um, the um, <clears throat> you mentioned them all already, Emily uh, Gilnick and Claire Polkinghorne. Uh, who are the players that um, that you are uh, are looking at to, to replace those two? Because I know you you know you tell us that you've got the depth of the squad, but they are two pretty serious outs. Yeah, massive um, losses for us. But in terms of their careers and, and what they need to do, they need to go overseas to pursue their Matilda's dream of making that Olympics. In terms of our squad, I think some exciting players into, into Winnie Heatley. She's been playing as a, as a fullback for us, and you know she's got a big, big future ahead of her, and she's got a huge potential. She's an exciting young player, and also that you've got Letitia McKenna. Um, she's played a few games this season. We brought her in from Perth Glory. Um, she's you know 18, 19 as well, and, and she's a an attacking player with some like link up play and. Yeah, she's exciting to watch. So I think them two coming in will provide good depth. Jake, one player that's caught the imagination of the Australian women's football community has been Jamila Rankin, not only because she's so young, but she's been playing in that left-back position where there seems to be a bit of a gap in terms of who's available to play for the Matildas. So what can you tell us about Jamila and uh, how she's... Uh, progressed in her development. She's still very, very young, but she's had such a such a good season. Um, there are some people um, suggesting that uh, she could be fast tracked in a similar way that Ali Carpenter was all those years ago. Yeah, Jamila's had a, an unbelievable season. I think if you speak to her now, I don't think she expected to start for us this year. Um, but we have high hopes for Jamila. We had her with us last season. She she trained full time. She came in towards the end of the season against Melbourne City and got her, her debut. I think she's been great. Um, as a young player, you know, as expected, she's not has been as, as consistent as we'd like, um, just standards and expectations that we've put upon her. But she's only 17. And to see her left back at such a young age with the ability to get forward and, and also get back to defend is fantastic. And, and look, she takes off-set pieces as well. She's on corners. Uh, so she's got great delivery. She's a, a great technician as well. And, and you know, being left-footed is 
there's not many around in Australia. Um, you've got Andrew Beard at Victory, who's a few years older and, and been about for the last, you know, five to eight years. And I think Jamila's got a huge, huge opportunity to, to push on. But I think she needs to have a little bit more consistency in the game and, and not get carried away. Jake, your own situation, it's been um, reported recently in the press that you turned down some offers from uh, NPL clubs to remain in the women's stream at uh, Brisbane War. Um, are, are you, um, what is your future? And, and, and with the W League season only being the length that is, you know, what else do you do in the football world that helps you, um, helps you progress and develop in your own, um, own objectives? And, and can you tell us the, the thinking behind sticking it out with a W League program rather than, uh, than crossing to a, a full-time program at an NPL yeah. club? Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful to, to Brisbane Raw. I think it's credit to the culture and environment that we've got in the W League program at the club and, and what we've set out to do, not just you know last season, this season, but in the future as well. I'm very grateful to be in the position that I'm, I'm full time. Um, so you know, I'm on a, uh, I'm lucky to have a, salary, a full time salary with the club and, and the backing from the club to, to push the program to to the next level and. And help support young players, but also attract the, the the Matildas that we're known to have back to the club as well. So I'm very grateful. Um, turning down obviously seeing your NPL role into state and within Brisbane um, for this moment that was a no-brainer. I think some world-class players and, and Emily Gilnick who's been at Bayern Munich and, and overseas and and Polks as well. It's just too good to you know let go and. I hope I stay at the club for you know another season or two, and and they're happy with the progress that we've made since you know Mel stepped away. Um, so yeah, it was, it was an easy no-brainer for now. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. We're talking to Jake Goodship, coach of the W League Brisbane Raw team, who are heading into the finals uh, next weekend, and uh, it's a big match against the Melbourne Victory, who could have been the premiers uh, if it had have been for uh, uh, a different outcome against Sydney the other day. Uh, so that's the uh, the opening match on uh, Sunday, the fourth of April, and then Sydney uh, take on Canberra. So uh, Melbourne Victory, uh, they've been coming all season. Uh, they've got. Uh, uh, Experience, Lisa Devanna. They've got uh, a, a stack of uh, of young talent coming through as well. Jeff Hopkins, uh, former coach of Brisbane as well, uh, uh, is their mentor. How do you uh, uh, expect that one to play out? And is is there any talk of it uh, being moved to a bigger stadium? I mean, the five thousand capacity at uh, at Lions Stadium at Richlands, uh, um, you know, it's not been tested this season, but it's but it is a big uh, big big match, and you've been pulling some decent crowds this season. Yeah, I think Lions is, is our, I'd like to say, our home this year. We, we train there. It's a, a second uh, a second ground for us, if you like, in terms of being at Dolphin with the A-League. So, yeah, we're happy that it's at Lions. I think it's a, a good atmosphere in terms of the fans being closer up to the players and, and it creates that noise that, you know, essentially the, the crowd and particularly the Raw Corps become our, our 12th player. Um, we're expecting a, a very, very tough game and a close encounter with victory, they've got uh, you know the resources and the budgets they have, and you expect them to be winning the league each year and, and compete with Sydney FC. Um, you know they're a well financially well well supported club, huge number and supporter base and members at the club. So yeah, it's, with that comes the ability to sign top players, which they have made, and Lisa and, and obviously Kyra Tony Cross, one of the younger players in the country, and she's got a huge 
huge future ahead of us. So, yeah, we're, we're expecting a tough game, but hopefully, you know, Lions, we get enough fans at Lions and the crowd and, and support this weekend that, that carry us through for a positive result. Well, Jake, um, the most important topic of the past week for you and your family, of course, is the, uh, not the football, but it's the arrival of your beautiful daughter, Isabella. So, uh, mate, we won't uh, let you go before congratulating on, you on that. Um, you made the right decision by uh, sticking, sitting at home for, for, uh, for the birth of the, of the little one. And, uh, uh, mate, um, things must be very, very busy in the, the Good Ship household with a toddler and a brand newborn. Yeah, many thanks. And, you know, it's an easy decision. Uh, obviously being at the birth of my daughter but also leaving the, the team in good hands with, with my assistant and, and staff at the club so yeah it's a good outcome for everyone and, and a happy future moving forward Good on you mate Jake good ship uh, the manager at uh, the Gaffer at the Brisbane War W League team uh, good luck this weekend mate and uh, we wish you all the best uh, uh, into the future Fantastic thanks for your time Good job. All right, stick around with W League so far. We're going to pivot to the A League. Mitch Duke, he left the Wanderers. He's back at the Wanderers and they're just doing nicely under Carl Robinson. They wobbled a little bit, but they're doing well. And uh, keen to have a yarn to Mitch Duke about how all that's come about for them. Stick around. It's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is box to box. We've had a good yarn about the W League with that competition reaching its crescendo. But uh, we turn our focus now to the A League and a club that uh, is uh, up the top end and uh, and fighting for the honours this season uh, under Carl Robinson, doing particularly well over recent weeks. And uh, a man whose name is synonymous with the Western Sydney Wanderers these days is Mitchell Duke Socceroo himself. How are you, Mitch? Good, mate. Thanks for having me on, boys. I think a few Mariners fans might have said you were synonymous with them in the day, but, uh, uh, mate, the Western Sydney Red and Black Bock will claim you these days, mate. So so um, you, you left the club and, uh, and you know, you headed over to the, to the Middle East and it started well, but, uh, you know, things change in football. You came back to Australia and, as uh, you know, we are, are not exactly original in saying this on this show that the only bloke who could replace Mitchell Duke was Mitchell Duke. So uh, the club's turned its fortunes around since you've returned. Yeah, no, I mean, it's been all right. Um, to be fair, I actually thought they were doing all right while I was still away. I watched pretty much every game while I was over there in the Middle East in Saudi. Um, didn't have much else to do with my spare time, so mm. and the, the timings worked out well. And I was I was loving what the what Carl Robinson had brought to the team, um, the new system, the, some of the new players he brought in, and, and the way they were playing. I was I was really enjoying it, and I I've heard a few of his interviews as well, and I was really excited to see. If, I was able to work someone out to come back and work under him. And uh, funnily enough, in football, um, things can work out sometimes. So I'm, I'm very happy to be back and uh, really enjoying myself. Uh, I feel like I've only just started to get back to my fitness and uh, really enjoying it. I'm a little hiccup against Melbourne City, but I think we'll go again against Brisbane this Saturday. So before we get to that, just just briefly tell us how it played out for you. So you, you signed a two-year contract with Altoon um, and um, and returned home pretty quickly. Uh, uh, did the did the Wanderers reach out to you, or uh, or was it your manager that um, that was uh, working through all the issues? Yeah, look, to be honest, uh, I, I, I'm also kept in touch with some of the boys like Dylan McGowan, Simon Cox and, and, and players like that. So they were always in touch with me asking how things were going. Um, but how it kind of played out was me more so telling the boys of how unhappy I was because I was playing winger um, and I was very frustrated the fact that I wasn't playing as a striker here, especially in the first 12 games uh, with my new club. 
and the fact that our striker was struggling to score goals at the time. And I was putting my hand up to give to be given that chance, but I never got it. So I got frustrated and a bit a bit annoyed because obviously that's what I got signed there for, which which was to be a striker and uh, playing four games in a four four two system as a winger. Uh, I didn't get any goals and uh, that was starting to frustrate me because I didn't get my chance. So, yeah, once I hit the transfer window in January, I started to put a few feelers out there and uh, let the boys know that if there was any chance that things could work out, uh, I'd love to see if that could happen. And originally, they got rejected, the Wanderers, uh, early January because my club were just adamant. If I wasn't happy, then I should just leave and cancel my contract. But that wasn't the situation that I wanted. And... It took until the end of January for them to finally turn around and say, okay, uh, we'll let you go online for the four months. So, uh, very happy it worked out in that way. Mitch, the Saudi League has very good reputation for being a high quality and a, and a high standard. What can you tell us from what you saw, uh, just for our listeners right around Australia, what sort of experience you had just with the standard of the of the league and, and how uh, were you received in, in Saudi Arabia? So, over there, you can have seven foreigners um, in each team and they can, play, they can all play at once. So, you know, that's a, a good number of a starting 11. And they're usually top quality players from all over the leagues in the world. Um, you know, top quality Brazilians. And they're always in the tough positions as well, which is the centre-back, central midfielder, and the strikers, uh, sometimes the goalkeepers as well. Um, so, so they fill out a strong starting 11. And, you know, as a striker, you're coming up against some of the best defenders. They get picked out because they get offered big money. And uh, they're usually the best players in their league of what they've been doing. So it's definitely a top class, good quality league and very intense and uh, and very high expectations because as you can see, if you're either not happy or you don't you're not doing your job, they they can very quickly get rid of you. <laughs> Move you on. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, so there's a lot of expectation and it's uh, you know, they expect consistency and if you're not consistent, especially as a striker, even though I wasn't playing that position, you don't get goals for a few games, they start they start throwing question marks at you and the fans will quickly turn on you as well. So uh, it's a good league, to be honest. Yeah, I've heard it's a very good league. And tell me about, um, obviously, um, I think you're going to be selected for the Socceroos for the uh, the the Q8 uh, hub for the remainder of Phase 1 World Cup qualifying. You, know, you may not uh, be as... Uh, as adamant, you're in form. You're scoring spectacular goals. I'm sure you're going to be you're going to be selected, which means that you'll be heading back to Kuwait, one of the hottest parts of the world at the time of the year that this has been scheduled. Um, um, forecast of uh, 50 plus during the day and uh, overnights of 40, 41. It, it's going to be tough to play for the Socceroos to play four games in. I think it's about. Uh, uh, 15 or 16 days so have you thought about it um, what are nah, your what man, are your I feelings I, honestly, yeah. I, I don't know it's going to be too much of an issue to be honest I think uh, you know we have a good feeling uh, playing I think we have a good history playing in Kuwait um, you know we've always done well against them regardless so I don't think that's going to come into play at all I think we've got also a bigger squad that we're going to be taking so rotations will be will be there so every player can pretty much give it a role um, so I don't think there'll be any issues in regards to that we're professionals we're fit enough to handle all conditions anyway so I don't think that will come into play and I think uh, if that was to it'll just be an excuse I think um, uh, so I think uh, that definitely is always it's always going to be a thing because you know especially if players in Europe um, may not be that acclimatised to it but for that short period of, ter- uh, of time that we're going to be there with the squad turnaround, I don't think that's going to be an issue at all. And I don't think it would be a thought for any player, to be honest. And uh, I think with the massive break that we've had 
internationally. I think every every player will be raring to go to represent their country again. So um, I'm expecting big things in this uh, in this four games. And yeah, hopefully I can put my hand up to be selected. Um, there's a lot of players that are performing quite well, especially in my position as well. So um, I'd like to be selected. Obviously, you want to represent your country, but um, my job is to just keep banging them in and, and then I, I hopefully that makes it a bit easier for Graham Arnold to choose me. Well, speaking of uh, the great Golago Marnie, we know you've got a good relationship uh, with uh, the gaffer and uh, we wish you luck, mate. We'd love to see you selected and um, and uh, we'll look out for that team sheet when it's uh, named. This is Box to Box. We're talking to Mitch Duke, the Western Sydney Wanderers, Mitch Duke, who have got two games coming up in the next week. So it's almost like European football, uh, having uh, these short turnarounds with the Roar on Saturday and then you've got the uh, the, the Central Coast Mariners top of the table, clash your old club uh, on uh, on Tuesday night. So Carl Robinson, how's he approaching this? We've seen him rotate the squad uh, I, I suppose we'd, we'd all expect that that's going to continue but uh, how does he explain that to the players who are left on the bench and, and, and selection processes very much comes down to obviously training as well um, how, how the players are going in training and uh, to earn their spot for selection but then again obviously with the, the short turnaround of games I think there will be a few players that would be rotated um, just for protection as well um, you know you don't want to over overload too many players and risk injuries um, because there's still a good chunk of the season to go and then finals uh, which we want to obviously be involved in as well so I'm sure he will uh, play around with that and I think he, he gets that clear to the players in training you know just uh, it pretty much puts it to the players you earn your position and if you've got your position it's up to you to keep it you know and then we've also come off the back of a, <clears throat> a 4-1 loss so you know we can expect the rotation possibly even for the next game or if not Saturday, definitely Tuesday. I'm sure he'll he'll play around to make sure some players are fresh and uh, and ready to make either an appearance off the bench as well to to be fresh. And speaking of Carl as as a manager, uh, uh, he's um, he's had some success uh, over in the, uh, North America. Uh, he's obviously a seasoned pro and an international in his own right. Uh, how would you describe him as a manager of uh, of the club? I think his quality, to be honest, and uh, that's why I was so excited to work with him because I'd seen some of his interviews and the way he speaks really caught my eye um, because I feel like his beliefs and his way of working and his philosophy is something that I kind of relate to and that's how I kind of want to be as a player Um, and I feel like that's also you know I've had a few conversations with him before I even came back from Saudi Arabia and after those conversations he sold me after the first five minutes of just having a chat and uh, you know he even made it very clear to me which I love is the fact that I, okay, I want I want you to come back from Saudi Arabia. I want you here, but that doesn't necessarily mean I'm just going to start you and you're not and you're, you don't have to earn your position. You know, so I'm very much like that. I think uh, the way you perform and the way you train, you earns your position and earns that starting spot. And uh, I believe if I don't score for a few games, you know, I can, I deserve to be dropped. And and he made that very clear to me as well. So, you know, he expects a high quality. Expects a you know your strikers or whoever's in whatever their position to do their job. And if they don't, you know, he's not afraid to either bring in a young boy and give that, give someone else a chance. So that also makes you perform at a better level professionally. Um, for me, I, I very much believe in all of that. I don't believe anyone should be safe um, because, you know, that, that brings on complacency and, uh, you know, bad performances, I think, from certain players that don't have to fight for their position. So, um yeah, the way he spoke to me and, and, and the way he works and his philosophy, yeah, definitely quality for me. Sounds good. Just like that famous line from Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello.
and you yeah. did have you, didn't you? <laughs> Pretty much, mate, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Mitch. Hey, mate, listen, good luck for the rest of the season. Uh, we're all really excited as football fans uh, at the at the quality of football we're seeing. Uh, you know, there were doomsdayers suggesting that, you know, with players departing that the quality of the competition would go down, but it's it's never been better uh, and, uh, and we're really enjoying what uh, you, uh, the other clubs as well, are putting out on the park, mate. So keep it up. Good luck with the uh, Socceroo selection and, uh, and we'll stay in touch and watch closely um, over the the next few months to see how your season plays out. No, awesome. Thanks for that. It's definitely been one of the most exciting A-League seasons I've been involved in uh, over the last few years. So hopefully we can continue out the rest of the season because I think uh, we're doing ourselves uh, no harm with the marketing side of things. Uh, exactly. The league this year, sure. that's, that's exactly right. And what better season to be doing it in. Mitch Duke, the Western Sydney Wanderers. Thanks so much for your time. All right, stick around on Box to Box. We've got a big next hour coming up. We're going to shift our focus from uh, Australia. We've covered the W League and the A League. We're going to talk Europe. We're going to talk World Cup qualifiers and the resumption of the Premier League. That's all after the news on Box to Box. Now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgeley. Oh! For Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and absolutely fantastic. Welcome back to Box to Box on Nine Radio NTS News Talk Sport. A big second hour coming up. We've got our good friend Rob Tanner to uh, review the uh, week, the past two weeks, in fact, of uh, World Cup qualifiers in Europe, and of course the Premier League resumes this weekend. We'll talk about that in depth over two segments, and uh, we'll have a, a great uh, yarn about the minnows of world football, who Willem's already touched on with some of the results so far. North Macedonia and uh, Luxembourg being two of those in the past fortnight, and uh, and a friend of mine. Slati Angelovsky, a proud North Macedonian, is going to have a chat to us about just what it means to uh, North Macedonia to have uh, knocked off the four-time World Cup winning Dimanshaft. Willem, you got a bit more news for us? I do, Rob. Socceroos and Matilda Central for the Green and Gold Army. One of our national teams, would you believe it, is going to be playing this month. Can you believe it, Michael? What better time to sign up to the Green and Gold Army mailing list to make sure you're among the first to learn about upcoming overseas tours? Sign up at ggatravel.com.au. Hayley Rasso has helped Everton remain in touch with the English Women's Super League top four, netting a hat-trick in a 5-0 route of Brighton throughout the week. Playing further up the pitch on the wing as opposed to as a wing back where she spent much of the season, Rasso netted in the 25th, 48th and finally 79th minute. Sandwiched between her two performances in the Champions League, Sam Kerr scored both goals in Chelsea's 2-0 win over Aston Villa. Caitlin Ford was among the scorers as Arsenal put three past Tottenham in the North London derby. Unfortunately, it wasn't Lydia Williams in goal who kept the clean sheet as she was on the bench while Alana Kennedy played a full match for Spurs. And Michael, some shocking news, or not shocking news, but shock news out of Arsenal. Joe Montemuro has announced this will be his final season at the club and will take a break to recharge and spend more time with his family. Not one many saw coming there. No, that was a bit of a, a surprise announcement, wasn't it? So uh, we'll just have to wait and see whether the uh, tried and tested uh, statement of spending more time with your family is code for, uh, oh, I've rejuvenated myself and I'm going to be taking another job uh, in a few weeks' time. We'll just have to wait and see. Not a lot of action from our males at club level with the international break, but big news has broken that Harry Suter has attracted a bit of Premier League attention. 
West Ham, Wolves and Crystal Palace are reportedly watching him, although you'd think he'd require a big fee to leave Stoke, given he's just signed a new very-term long deal, three or four seasons there, I believe. To Asia, Adam Taggart has finally arrived in Japan six weeks into the J-League season. He's been one of numerous foreigners unable to get into the country amid COVID-19 restrictions. He'll now undergo two weeks quarantine before he's available for Syrio Osaka. And Aaron Moyer scored a hat-trick for Shanghai Port, formerly Shanghai SIPG in a pre-season friendly against fellow top-tier side Shandong Taishin. And finally, Dean Bozanis is playing a starring role in goal uh, as Sutton United dream about entering the Football League. They're all the way down in the National League. Uh, but as mentioned, yeah, Michael, he's over there with uh, Steph Catley. So that's a, a great yarn uh, unfurling in Australian football. Certainly is. He's, uh, Dino's uh, been making the most of his time in London, no doubt, and uh, showing some good form and like to see him playing at a higher level, wouldn't you, William? Yeah, you'd think that's a little bit below him, but obviously that was the move that could be facilitated uh, while he goes over there and supports his partner's career. But, yeah, that is a fair way down, even though he does rate himself, Dean Bazanis. Does he? He does, yeah. A few, few stories float around about um, once maybe stating that he was the best goalkeeper in the A-League. Yeah, well, he's a handy goalkeeper. I don't know if he's the best one, but he was a handy one, and now he's uh, over in uh, in the UK enjoying life uh, with Steph and, and uh, semi-professional football. Let's hope he gets back into the league, uh, the league structure soon. Manchester City legend Sergio Aguero has announced he'll leave the club at the end of the season. Aguero joined from Atletico Madrid in 2011 and will leave as the club's top scorer, having so far scored 257 in 384 appearances. His 181 league goals has him the highest scoring foreigner in the Premier League and fourth all-time, while he may add a fifth league title before he departs. So, Rob, that's now Aguero, Silva and company who have departed City in the past year to 18 months, three of the key pillars across the couple of different managerial um, eras, mm. uh, certainly in Manchester City's most successful era as a club. Does he get a statue, do you think, just for that one moment? I mean, he was well, a great contributor, but surely uh, he, he's iconic at that ground uh, for uh, for that, that moment in time. We had Martin Tyler one week too late, didn't we? Because he could have relived yeah. his uh, commentary that you'll never see anything like this ever again. Aguero! Yeah, it doesn't it was, sound anything like Martin Tyler. No, it doesn't, but it was it. absolutely sensational. Yeah, have a listen to this. Let's have a little bit of a listen to Martin. Fans are jumping up and down. Maybe there's more news, more favourable news for them. It's finished at Sunderland. Manchester United have done all they can. That Rooney goal was enough for the three points. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli. Aguero! That's good, yeah. I think Martin did a better job of it than I did, didn't he? He did. <laughs> Much better than you, Rob. Germany have had their 35-game unbeaten run in World Cup qualifiers ended by North Macedonia, who stunned Yogi Lowe's side 2-1 in Duisburg. Germany had gone down on the stroke of halftime but levelled up through Ilke Gundogan, only for Elif Elmaz to score the winner for the 65th-ranked North Macedonians. The sides now sit in second and third in Group J on six points, trailing Armenia, who have won all three of their matches. And Rob, are going to be enjoyed in stoppage time by a friend of yours, who this will mean a hell of a lot to for North Macedonia. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's one of those um, things where uh, uh, you get a minnow, and we had intended to talk about the minnows, and we will in stoppage time, uh, but uh, we didn't expect 
expect this to come. We were really sort of coming off the back of the Luxembourg result over uh, the Republic of Ireland, and uh, and then this happened. And I, I do keep an eye on North Macedonia because my friend Zlati is uh, he, he's a character. Uh, he's a very proud North Macedonian, and uh, and we have a few gags about uh, about you know does the country exist and is it a real place and uh, uh, and it, he he takes it all in good spirit. But when you get a result like this, uh, you know those uh, light-hearted remarks, uh, you know they uh, they get put to one side because they are playing in the big time you know you beat a four-time world cup winning team and uh, and you get a result like this and, and to be fair i mean they are ranked 50, 65th in the world so they're no duffers they, they know what they're doing but uh, to knock off germany that's uh, that's a, uh, a moment in time they'll never forget uh, no one would have expected uh, North Macedonia to beat Germany, and uh, they've been called a few things in their time. Remember, they were part of Yugoslavia, then they were Macedonia for a while, and they were the former Yugoslav Republic Macedonia, and now they're North Macedonia. So they've had a few name changes in the in the journey. But this would um, be the biggest thing since Alexander the Great turned up and um, and unified the um, region about uh, what two or what. Well, you were touching on some pretty uh, pretty dynamic and uh, and contested politics there, Rob. I might leave that one alone uh, just quietly. I think. <laughs> I think they don't have any claim to Alexander the Great, just quietly. Well, if you look in the, the history books, uh, he did turn up there and uh, he did do some Yes, he conquered the them, no doubt about it. Let's just say um, <laughs> we'll move along to the, the next story. I didn't say he was one of them. I just said he came and conquered. That's what his name was, what Alexander the Great. He conquered. He, uh, he, whether what, people liked him or not, he was there. What was that old show? Was it the Einstein Factor where you had to have a key subject that you knew everything about? That would be Michael and... And the uh, the Greek Macedonian issues and Alexander the Great. That's, the uh, that's the politics of that region has found its way into the uh, Melbourne suburbs of the National Soccer League. I can tell you, and, in and the north of Mel- in north the north of Melbourne, uh, when Preston played Heidelberg, mm-hmm. the politics of uh, of that uh, debate were well and truly laid the laid there. Of the region, please take this uh, uh, chat in the spirit in which it's intended. The fact is, North Macedonia beat Germany. They did. That's really they? all what we really know on this show. So uh, moving right along, Will. to a few other. World Cup qualifiers. As is always the case in these early stages, there's been a few lopsided affairs. Belgium and Denmark have both put eight past Belarus and Moldova respectively. The Netherlands have also righted their qualifying ship. They've had two wins this week, including a 7-0 victory over Gibraltar. How does that make you feel, Michael? Well, my second uh, love, Gibraltar, The Rock. Yeah, well, we know it's uh, going to be a hard... World Cup qualifying campaign is going to be a hard road for uh, the part-timers out of Gibraltar, but uh, we we won't give up on them just yet. But the biggest hammering of the week was dished out by our continental rivals in Japan. They put 14 past Mongolia, including three in injury time. They were merciless, Rob. Did you see the the setup they had um, on the television? They included a Gogglebox-style... Four panel, <laughs> sort of four panels of analysts, uh, and our friend Scott McIntyre wasn't impressed with the the novelty factor and how they cheapened the broadcast. They had uh, a famous sumo wrestler. They had a retired player who was a defender, but he's now a cowboy in Sao Paulo. Scott wasn't happy with how they sort of cheapened the broadcast. No, well. Um Scott uh, is a man who is well known for his strong opinions and I, I think that if you're going to take yourself seriously then uh, you don't um, uh, diminish your opponent. Would they have done that against uh, a European powerhouse? Uh, would they have done it against a team who they were concerned about? I don't think so at all. Honduras and Mexico have become the final two sides to qualify for the Tokyo Olympics men's competition having reached the final of the CONCACAF qualifiers. Mexico beat Canada in their semi-final and ultimately won the whole thing, defeating Honduras on penalties in the final. But the big story, Michael, is who Honduras knocked out on their way, and that is the USA. Here's a little bit of commentary from their first goal in the 2-1 win. Otro servicio al área. Goal! 
Is that a world record? That is a brilliant. We had to play that, didn't we? It was Having had fantastic. one of the world's most sort of deft and nuanced and classy commentators in history, and Martin Tyler on the program last week. <laughs> that's the other way of going about it. But you've it. got to respect cultures and uh, different parts of the world, and that's the way they celebrate. And well done to Honduras. Believe it or not, that's America's fourth failure in five Olympic campaigns. They've only been to one in the last five Olympic Games campaigns. It's fair to say the American football community is going apoplectic at this failure because Honduras. I mean, apoplectic. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. They're going off their uh, as off opposed their to the um, the women's team who uh, just well, won everything. That's right, they win everything. So uh, the American men's uh, Olympic team crash again, and um, isn't that such a this pretty sad event for football generally? Isn't it, Rob? Oh God! Um, the, I say that with a yes, tongue in yes, my cheek. Well, and a big grin like the Cheshire cat on your face. All right, well done, Willem. Thank you very much. We're going to talk to Rob Danner, our mate, after the break. We're going to have a, a deep dive with him, and Dell will join us as well uh, across two uh, two uh, segments of the show um, with. Uh, the World Cup wrap-up and a look ahead to how the final eight weeks of the Premier League is going to come to an end. That's all next on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be yes, this is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Now, we just love international football at the best of times, but when you've been starved of it for so long, uh, when you get a glut, it's uh, just a feast and we've totally enjoyed it. We've enjoyed uh, particularly the Minnows winning. We'll talk to them about it as well. But uh, our good friend Rob Tanner, we're going to have an extended conversation with Rob from The Athletic uh, uh, this uh, week because uh, we're going to talk about the, the World Cup qualifiers and then uh, and then we're going to wrap up uh, um, after a break uh, the um, resumption of the Premier League and the uh, and the back end of that competition and, and what are the stories playing out. So, uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us, Rob. How are you, mate? Good. How are you guys? You okay? Yeah, we're really good, Rob. And, uh, look, it's great to see um, the, uh, the athletics coming to Australia soon. We saw that news uh, in the paper this week. I mean, it's been in Australia for a while, courtesy of you and, uh, and all of the introductions you've made. But, um, yeah, we, we were waiting for it and it's, it's about to happen. Yeah, it makes uh, perfect sense, doesn't it? I mean, such a huge sporting nation. Um, there's a ready-made audience. And uh, I just hope they enjoy it. Yeah, well, we're sure they will. I mean, without going uh, down that path, there's uh, uh, certainly an appetite for it. And, uh, and, and uh, we, uh, we're convinced that it, it'll be a huge success when it arrives. But, mate, what was a huge success uh, was the last um, you know, week and a half or thereabouts uh, of the resumption of World Cup qualifiers. Just countless stories uh, there uh, throughout. But um, let's start with England. Uh, pretty much did what was expected. Um, slipped on a banana peel for part of the Poland match um, when uh, with Robert Lewandowski's departure it was meant to be an easy game but uh, in the end came back and uh, you know John Stones after his own clangor um, set up uh, Harry Maguire for the match winner and uh, you know all's right with the world. Yeah and you would have expected that before the start of it although the three games in a, in a fortnight on the back of such a condensed league season always makes it tricky and there's a number of players Missing for uh, Gareth Southgate at the moment, but uh, yeah, but these, these, I, I don't know how to feel about these group stages these days. I mean, the the Nations League it was an attempt to sort of get rid of these uh, these sort of foregone conclusion games. Although having said that, there's been a few that have been a few a few shocks, but um, it's very hard to watch England play San Marino and Albania and get excited about it. To be honest, because it's like watching a practice game of attacking versus defending. But so Poland was the first opportunity really to see England get tested somewhat, even though they didn't have Lewandowski uh, uh, in the Polish ranks. But um, they made it difficult for themselves. They were um, they almost shot themselves in the foot with uh, John Stones getting a little bit too relaxed. 
uh, almost a little bit too easy for him at times and um, they got it pinched off him for the, the equaliser and then they really had to show a little bit of character to come back but um, they, they managed to do that in the end but uh, yeah it's, um, it's, it's interesting watching international football compared to the Premier League because it certainly is nowhere near the standard. Three wins from three on paper that looks that looks good for England as you said they kind of eased their way into this. Um, they went with the same kind of tactics in all three games. That they're, Southgate is obviously wedded to this um, double pivot, uh, or at least having two um, uh, central midfielders defending and covering. Uh, and he even did that against Albania. I mean, the English public is screaming out for this team to be more attacking, partly because of the fact they've got so many attacking players. Do you think there's a case for Gareth to be a bit more ambitious? Yeah, I do, because um, those two holding midfield players are holding midfield players. It's not like, uh, for Leicester, the club I uh, obviously cover, you've got um, a defensive midfielder in the Diddy and uh, a, a playmaker in Yuri Tielemans alongside him, sitting in front of a, a back four. Uh, and, and then it becomes a, a lot more of an attacking formation. I mean, I thought Declan Rice was the best player on the park um, against Poland. He was outstanding. Um, but I'd really like to see a playmaker alongside him. But um, at the moment, a lot of the, the, the attacking players that, Leicester, uh, that England have got at their disposal, uh, they all play very similar sort of roles for their clubs. Uh, you've got your Mason Mount, your Foden, Grealish, Madison when they're fit. Um, you know, they all float in and around the, the forwards. Um, they, they make great runs. It's exciting to watch, but I'd love to see a playmaker, a pl sort of player that England have been crying out for for a long, long time. I mean, I mean, Perlo was the one, uh, the Italian Perlo that um, everybody was talking about. We don't produce a Perlo. We don't produce a, a playmaker that can sit in front of the back four and just dictate everything. Uh, and I still don't think we've got one. Just briefly on the England under-21s, um, they're playing concurrently and, and obviously they've just gone out, uh, you know, in... Albeit in kind of unlucky circumstances there, the manager there, Aidy Boothroyd, says it's a tough job. Are you sympathetic with Boothroyd? His squad was shorn of some players that were in this England team for some of these kind of lesser um, qualifiers. Is, is it the impossible job? Well, it's certainly not made any easier by the fact that as soon as a, a young English talent comes to the fore in the Premier League, he's in the senior squad. Um, I mean, there's a number of lads that played uh, for Poland that could have played in the in the Euros. So he certainly hasn't got his strongest side available for these tournaments. And this is the second tournament in a row now where they've gone out in the group stages. And we talk about player development, but we seem to be fast tracking them, um, which I don't think the Italians and the Spanish have, have done in in the past. They, you know, they've let them develop in the under-21s before bringing them through to the seniors. But there seems to be an appetite, and I think it's a philosophy of Gareth Southgate, it's just to throw them straight into into the senior ranks and see how, how they get on. And um, well, well, the proof of the pudding is when the senior team get to a major championships. Um, you know, we, we, we obviously saw in 2018 how far they went there. And the Euros this summer, there's a lot of um, hopes pinned on them. And you could you could argue as well that the, the age of these youngsters playing the seniors, it, it does bode well for a long-term future for the national team, the senior national team. But it certainly doesn't help the under-21 situation. And there's a lot of speculation that A.D. Boothroyd's contract is now up and he won't get it renewed. So they might be looking for somebody else to progress the under-21s. But whoever comes in will have the same issue to deal with. Let's just go uh, to a couple of other countries I want to um, mention, Rob, just to get your thoughts. Um, obviously, um, the big shock result uh, in the last set of games was Germany going down to North Macedonia. Um, what uh, you know? What do you make of that? Um, and um, and just where the Germans are at with their uh, 
with their with their uh, progression on uh, on a new wave of players coming into their team. I mean, that is a huge, huge shock. I mean, I, I, I said about um, these games being, you know, pretty much foregone conclusions, a lot of them. You know, and you see the Dutch, um, they've had a setback, but they come back and hammer Gibraltar 7-0. And, you know, there's a lot of these sort of results. But so for Germany to, to fall against North Macedonia is hugely surprising. And, and I suppose it shows where they're at as well with their... Um, their progression as a as an a. I mean they've got a decent side out. I mean there, there was Havertz was playing Gundogan, who's been fantastic for um for, for Manchester City this season. Uh, Rudiger and Khan at the back. So uh, Sane, they they they've got some decent players out for them to not perform to that level. That's quite shocking really, but they've been on a little bit of a downward spiral for a while now. Um, but they go through boom and bust, the Germans. And whenever you come round to, we always say in England, whenever they come to a major tournament and the Germans are in there, no matter how poorly they've played in the build-up to it or how troubled qualifying has been, they're always ready. They always seem to be ready when it comes to the major tournaments. They've got that tournament sort of attitude. Um, so I wouldn't I wouldn't um, get too hung up on, on their defeat to North Macedonia. But I imagine in Germany... That is a massive worry right now, and that'll be dominating all the back pages and all the headlines, and there'll be another analysis of where they've been going wrong in terms of uh, youth development. But they've got good players coming through. We've seen them, and a lot of them come to the Premier League, and we see them. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was Germany. In fact, I'd be a little bit, I'd be a little bit concerned about the, the wounded beast when it comes to the Euros. The other nation that um, has really struggled away from the field is the Republic of Ireland. They've had lots of controversies around finance and and uh, and people running the federation. Um, they had a massive loss against Luxembourg um, over just last weekend, uh, and the um, the response from the football community in in Ireland has been has been very very fierce. So um, you know where are they at? And uh, that that in itself is probably a bigger loss than Germany going down to North Macedonia because at least North Macedonia is re- ranked in the 60s. I mean, Luxembourg is uh, is a minnow. Uh, that is a, a bitter blow for, for Ireland, for Stephen Kenny in particular, the Ireland manager, because the heat will be on him now. And I don't know how many of the Irish lads actually play uh, top-flight Premier League football now. It always used to be when you saw a Republic of Ireland side, they were coming from some of the top clubs. When you go back to the... The nineties, when you had uh, you know Roy Keane and Robbie Keane, and uh, even before then, um, you know they, they 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 played at top level. I think a lot of the time now he's looking at championship players and uh, players in the in the lower reaches of the Premier League and um, perhaps in this the uh, SPL. And I think that's um, a little bit of an issue for for Irish football the um, the amount of the talent that is coming through for for them. But um, even so, um, they're top pros and uh, to, to lose against Luxembourg. Again, is another one of those really um, bitter pills to swallow for them. But um, it's got to, they've got something's got to change really, and whether that is a change of direction in terms of um, the uh, Stephen Kenny standing down and, and uh, approaching somebody. Because this, I don't think they would have had a result like that under Martin O'Neill. Um, so you know, we'll have to see how that progresses. That'll be an interesting story to follow. And Group F, um, Scotland have finally qualified for a major competition. They're going to the Euros and uh, had a bit of a speed wobble in, in the first couple of games, but uh, got their mojo back against the Faroe Islands. But uh, Denmark, they're just uh, uh, winning for fun. Uh, a massive goal difference, uh, three from three in that group. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're well and truly used to, uh, to watching the sharp end of Denmark after the World Cup in Russia, where uh, they put uh, to the sword our hopes. But uh, uh, Scotland, um, you know, what do you 
what do you make of, of Scotland's chances? Uh, they they seem to have rebuilt uh, um, and, uh, and 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 should be making a reasonable fist of qualifying this time round. Yeah, I mean the, the way that the um, qualifying structured now, uh, and it, it should be a little bit easier for, for, for countries like Scotland who've always just been on the cusp, not quite being good enough just to get over the line. Now the lines moved a little bit. They sh- they should be able to get over the line. They, they've got some decent players, similar to Ireland though. How many of their players play top top level? Um, not that many. Um, I mean, Tierney at Arsenal is probably one of the exceptions. But um, you know, the, the way it's set up now, they just need to get sort of a club mentality into their national game in a way. I know they only meet up so many times a season, but when they do get together, if they if they can get that um, togetherness, that should get them over the line in terms of qualifying. When they get to a tournament, then it's a different matter. But again, it's about player development in Scotland, as it is in Ireland, um, whether they can get the youngsters through, whether they've got the investment of their, their football associations um, to really sort of invest into the develop, development of youth football. Because that's the only way you're going to bring the, these talents through. I and mean, that's the only way they're, they're coming through now uh, in England, because it's been taken since St George's Park opened, not far from where I live, actually. Um, you know, that's the national centre now, and there's a lot of work that goes on into youth development now. They've sort of looked at the French and looked at the Dutch and the Belgians and said, well, how come they're doing it? Um, Scotland need to do something similar. Ireland seem to do need to do something similar. Invest in the youth, because they come through. It's, it's whether they get opportunities at club level to play with the best uh, players in the world, and because uh, obviously that will kick them on even more. But I think that's the key for any national team. Uh, I mean, if you look at Denmark's... Line. I mean, they've got players that are playing at top clubs all over Europe. Um, so, I mean, they're not. It's not a big country, you know. They've got other sports as well. They play, but um, they've got some. They've got some great players. I mean, Ericsson, you know, Paulson, Delaney, Hoiberg, you know, Casper Schmeichel, obviously somebody I know very well. Great goalkeeper. They've they've got some good uh, good players, um, but they play at top level football, club level, and that makes the big difference. Yeah, and uh, look, we haven't even mentioned Wales. Dean Hennessy's having the weekend off, and uh, he'll be screaming at the radio if he's listening, saying, you didn't even mention Wales. But, Dino, we'll talk about <laughs> Wales another time because we do have to go to a break. Hey, Rob, stick around. We're going to uh, come back and uh, and have a chat about the resumption of the Premier League. Just uh, eight rounds to go, and uh, it, we pretty much know who's going to win it. But uh, there's still a lot of stories uh, to, to work out who's going to qualify yeah. for, for Europe and, uh, and who's going to drop and, and all the rest of that. So stick around, Rob. We will uh, talk about all of that after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Home of real brands and real savings. And Storage King. The kings of storage, moving and more. And this could be the most... This is Box to Box on 9 Radio NTS News Talk Sport. Our good mate from The Athletic, Rob Tanner, is still with us. We'll talk Premier League shortly. But before we do, is your home running out of space? Well, you know you need to call Storage King. Whether you're decluttering, moving or renovating, downsizing or creating a home office, which so many of us have had to do these days, you know Storage King is the answer. They've got stores everywhere. There's a location just around the corner. They've got a crack team of storage professionals. They are the best in the business. They will organise it all for you. They make Storage King the kings of storage moving and more. Go to storageking.com.au and let Storage King give you back some space. So, Rob, um, I don't know whether the worst storage king over there, my good friend Michael Tate, who runs the business, is married to an English woman, and um, he's got a couple of brothers-in-law that always like to wind him up when uh, the uh, Socceroos or the Wallabies have bad results, mate. But that's not what we're talking to you about, mate. The <laughs> Premier League resumes this weekend. Um, we pretty much know that Manchester City, well, not mathematically yet, but they're over the line, but but so many more stories. Let's start with the top end of the ladder uh, and how, how uh, you see the, the machinations of that playing out. Well, yeah, it's... 
it's uh, going to be uh, really interesting now with nine games to, to go for most of the, the, the sides. You know, we're on the home stretch now and uh, it's looking good for, for, for my team, Leicester, with a, a seven-point gap to fifth place West Ham. But having uh, squandered an even bigger advantage into the Champions League qualification last season, they won't be taking anything for granted. But I'd, there's no clear signs at the moment that... Um, there's going to be another collapse, and obviously that was a unique situation with the interruption to the, to the international break. It's probably come at a great time for, for Leicester to get a few players back fit. Madison might uh, be, be fit now. Uh, Harvey Barnes will probably be another two or three weeks away, but they're slowly starting to get um, some of their better players back available. But they've coped very, very well with the with the uh, the injury uh, situation, better than some sides. I mean, Liverpool are a classic example, really. They've... Um, have really dropped off this season, but a lot of that is due to the the, the amount of quality players that have been uh, sidelined. Having said that, their home form. I mean, I, f I think fans are a big factor as well with Liverpool. I mean, anybody who's been to Anfield know what an influence, what an impact the cop makes uh, when they're in full voice. Um, they really do roar on their side. And there's been no cop, so that's uh, had a detrimental effect on, on Liverpool, I think, more so than many other sides. Looking at the other end of the table, Robert, and uh, game that jumps out of the weekend fixtures is Newcastle versus Tottenham Hotspur. We can probably talk about both teams here because they're, they're going through interesting times, but particularly Newcastle, obviously it was a dagger blow, their um, result against Brighton, Hove, Albion the week before. Can you see any way back for Newcastle or do you think they're going to slide right into trouble and, and not come back? Well, they're very much in trouble. Um, they're just two points ahead of Fulham. At the moment, and you would probably say that the um, the atmosphere around Fulham, uh, the expectation level isn't as high at Fulham as Newcastle. The, I mean, the, the the atmosphere around Steve Bruce at Newcastle is poisonous at the moment. Whether it's the media or the supporters, even the sport is not in the ground. I mean, I've been. I just mentioned about Anfield and the atmosphere there. Newcastle is one of those where you go there and it's a tremendous atmosphere. The fans really get behind their team, but when things start to go wrong, they can turn on their team and their, and their manager. And I experienced that um, personally uh, when Alan Pardew was in charge at Newcastle and it was nil-nil against Leicester at half-time, nothing in the game. And the, uh, the half-time whistle blew. Uh, there was silence around most of the ground. And then some fans started running down the stand to hurl abuse at, at Pardew. It was nil-nil. They went on to win 1-0, went on a 10-game unbeaten run after that. But you know they, that can affect uh, the players as well. But it, it's there's n it, it, at no stage do you ever feel that there's... Uh, calm at Newcastle, that there's a direction, that there's guidance, that they, they've got a vision of where they want to go. I mean, compared to some of the other clubs like uh, like Leicester and Wolves you know, and Leeds, there's a vision about, there's an identity. Newcastle, it just seems to be a, a circus. There's always something going on and there's always pressure on the manager. And Steve Bruce is really uh, getting a lot of pressure at the moment and uh, it, it could really cost them that uh, atmosphere around them could really cost them because I can't see that at Fulham because there isn't the expectation level at Fulham. Rob, another line that came out of the Premier League this season was the announcement of Sergio Aguero leaving Manchester City after a, a more than successful 10-year period in the club leaves pretty much the most legendary figure in, in the club's history. Can you pay tribute to a guy that... He's often in the goals, but he's not often in the headlines and maybe is a little underrated. He's a pure goal scorer. You don't see him involved much in the games. You don't. He's not somebody that takes defenders on. 
He doesn't get involved in the build-up massively. But you've got to be so aware of him around the six-yard box, 18-yard box, because he comes alive in there, and he's a deadly finisher. Um, he's had a few injury issues over recent years, but um, when he's in, been in his prime, he's just been absolutely clinical. And you don't score as many goals as he has done at Man City in his time at Man City. He's a, he's a City legend. And a lot of people saying he's the greatest player the, the club have ever had. And and when you look at his stats, it's very hard to argue against that. I mean, I know they've had a lot of talented players over the years, and certainly in recent years when they've uh, had such a huge investment. But uh, he is right up there uh, as one of the greatest all time in the Premier League, in my opinion. Um, he's just so deadly. If you give him half a chance, he takes it. And uh, that is always in tight games at the top, top level. Those sort of players are worth the weight in gold. And how they replace him now is going to be. Very, very interesting. I know there's a lot of chat around Haaland and Borussia Dortmund, um, who's a slightly different type of player, but perhaps that, perhaps that's the way to go. With uh, and Leicester will have the same issue in time up for Jamie Vardy. Do they go and try and find a like for like? But that might be impossible because there isn't anybody like that around. They're such unique players. You're gonna have to go in a different direction. So um, that'll be interesting to see what Man City do. Rob, what's the latest on crowds returning to the football um, timelines and expectations and? What's your prediction around uh, the European Championships? Last time I asked this question of you was about a month ago. Um, obviously, France has gone into a national lockdown. Um, you know, what's uh, your prediction on what the Euros may look like uh, uh, at the end of uh, the regular seasons? Well, at the moment, domestically, they're looking at the FA Cup semi-finals as testers, possibly having up to ten thousand fans in Wembley for both of those games. But they won't be. How what I'm led to believe there won't be um, fan base, so it won't be like Leicester fans. We're coming down with uh, um, with other fans from across the country. There won't be a lot of travelling, so it'll be a lot of local uh, football fans that will be allowed to come in, and it, they'll be tested as they go in, and they'll have to have um, some of them might have to have vaccinations. They're, they're still working out those details, but that's the plan to start having fans back for the um, semi-finals. See how that works. Get some procedures in place, and then they're looking at the final two rounds now of the Premier League. They might move the penultimate round to a midweek to fall in line with government guidelines or when fans can uh, be allowed back in Premier League rounds. Um, because the, originally the plan was to have the final round of games, but it was raised by a lot of the clubs that that isn't unfair. That is unfair because um, the away teams obviously wouldn't have the advantage of having some supporters for their final home game. So if they do two rounds, and every side has at least one game at home. If that works out quite well, the FA is saying, they're, and they've offered this to UEFA, that they're quite happy to host more games in England. Um, the, the vaccination has gone very, very well in the UK. There's well over 50% of the adult population now have had received their first vaccination. Uh, but at the moment, obviously in Europe, there's uh, threats of a third wave and lockdowns in France and Germany, pretty much all across Europe at the moment. Um, and their vaccination rollout has been nowhere near uh, the level of the UK. So they're playing catch up, but uh, they might be able to um, host more games in the UK because, as you know, the Euros is being scattered all over um, the continent. Uh, um, the UK is ready. The FA have said they're ready to toast more games so there could be more fans in the ground. Obviously, there would be very much more local fans um, that just coming along to watch a game. But at least you'd have some fans in there. At least you'd have some atmosphere other than playing games behind closed doors, which is a completely soulless experience. It really is. It's like watching a training game. And I'm sure the players of whatever nation would rather play in front of a crowd, whether they're their crowd or you know just a, an English crowd or a UK crowd. 
Um, but the facilities are all ready to go. Um, pitches are all, all, all immaculate in the Premier League. The stadiums are huge. They have, I mean, Tottenham Stadium is absolutely amazing. It's hardly been used, so that's ready to go. It would be, uh, it would make common sense for that to happen for for more games in the Euros to be played in the UK. Yeah, Robert, sort of does make sense if there's one country in in Europe that's equipped to handle a World Cup, a Euros, whatever it happens to be right now. It's England, and uh, the one advantage you have over. Pretty much every other country in Europe is the same advantage that we have and has worked for us in Australia is uh, you're an island. And uh, if you can somehow get this uh, um, thing under control and, and not uh, get uh, caught up in, in this latest round of, uh, of third wave on continental Europe, then, then it might play to the advantage of, of holding more games in England, uh, which uh, I don't think any of us would object to, mate. Hey, Rob, uh, thanks again for joining us, mate. Um, you stay well and, uh, look, we'll be watching your Foxes very closely as we always do. They're everyone's second team in uh, in this show, mate. So uh, um, enjoy the, the back end of the season and, uh, mate, we'll, we'll uh, have you on again uh, real soon as, as the real sharp end of the, the competition uh, comes to, to, to an end. Thank you very much for having me. No worries. Rob Tanner from The Athletic, our very good friend. He's been with us since the start of the show and this would not be box to box without Rob Tanner. All right, stick around. We're going to talk uh, minnows in stoppage time. Uh, I've got to get my friend Lati Angelovsky. He's a North Macedonian uh, passionate uh, fan and uh, he's going to tell us just what it means to, to his country and his home nation and the diaspora around the world. That's next on box to box box to box Can you for Chemist Warehouse, home of real brands and real savings, and Storage King, the kings of storage, moving and more. This is Box to Box on Nine Radio, NTS News Talk Sport, broadcasting across Australia. Perhaps you're listening onto a podcast around the world. We welcome you wherever you are. It's been a great show tonight. Stoppage time. The fourth official's given us eight minutes. It's going to be a busy eight minutes. We're going to talk to my friends Ladi Angelovsky soon about the great victory of North Macedonia. Before we do, though. We want to talk Chemist Warehouse. Stock up at Chemist Warehouse. There's half price right now of Colgate Optic White Range at $3.99. Oral-B Vitality Power Toothbrush Range, just $19.99 each. Save $30 off a recommended retail price. Half price off the Colgate Smile for Good Range and Sensodyne Toothpaste Rapid Relief or Repair and Protect 100 grams, just $8.99. That is a deal. There's OptiSlim VLCD Platinum Shakes. If you want to lose some weight, Assorted Variants, $29.99. And the OptiSlim VLCD Bar, five-pack Assorted Variants. $14.99, half price off the Fat Blaster range as well. Chemist Warehouse, great savings every single day. Now, we have been talking lots about Europe in this hour and uh, some fantastic results for the uh, the smaller European nations, uh, but none greater than North Macedonia beating the four-time world champions, Germany. We're going to talk to my friends Ladi in a moment, but just have a listen to this. This is the winning goal. And Demi sends it across. It's a great chance and it's in the back of the net. For the second time tonight, North Macedonia lead away in Germany, and this time it's Elie Velmas who scored the goal. Five minutes to go. What a moment for North Macedonia. uh, what what a moment for North Macedonia. So just not the country of North Macedonia. You're a proud uh, member of the diaspora, mate. My good friend, we talk about your home country a lot. I've been to some uh, uh, functions of your family where the, the culture's on display. Just like, how big is this result for for uh, the country, mate? This is fantastic, mate. The population of two million, North Macedonia, and uh, to you know do what we've done there against Germany, it is just unbelievable. The community is absolutely excited 
about what we have just done. And this is just epic, absolutely epic. For Germany to be unstuck against, um, with all due respect to North Macedonia, this this opposition, you just wouldn't, you'd never have expected it. They are the consummate um, qualifiers and the consummate group players, and and they only generally lose against their top rivals, not against North Macedonia. But I wonder if our guest could tell us a little bit about some of the players. Obviously, Goran Pandev scored. He's a, a North Macedonian legend already, and, and and about the the guy that got the winning goal as well. Tell us more. Yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, the thing is, um, Pandev is like a, a true hero for the Macedonians, and uh, I think you know when. Uh, when you've got uh, people like that, that you know, uh, uh, representing Macedonia, I mean, uh, it's just unbelievable. So uh, all very exciting. But I'll, I'll give you a, just a quick, uh, quick little stat here, Jerry, if I can. The value of the squad, uh, Germany, uh, nine hundred and forty-two million euro, which is about uh, one point four five billion Australian dollars. And the value of the squad of North Macedonia was 61.75 million euro, which is 93 million Australian dollars. My golly gosh gosh, eh? How is <laughs> hey, that? Hey, Slady, tell me, you, you do travel when we're allowed to travel back to North Macedonia yeah. from time to time. Like, what would have been the reaction on the streets? Once again, I mean, uh, you know, the, the biggest sport there is obviously, uh, you know, soccer and uh so, so, you know, people would be absolutely going uh, wild about the fact that, uh, you know, uh, uh, North Macedonia just got there and um, it'll just be wild scenes. People would be so excited. The flags, the beanies, uh, it'll just be unbelievable. And as I said, I mean, because it's a, it's a small country, um, you know, people are very devoted to the fact that, you know, a team like, uh, you know, North Macedonia, you know, and especially uh, they've done what they've done. So... It'd be unbelievable. There wouldn't be too much sleep, put it that way, Rob. I'll tell you what, if you've ever been down, down at BT Connor Reserve in uh, in uh, Preston to see oh, yeah. to see Preston score a goal, a, a late winner like they did in NPL3 uh, the other day in front of about 3,000 people, you'd know that uh, they would be going absolutely bonkers back home, wouldn't they, uh, Sartre? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing there is that if you're sort of multiply that by a hundred and what you saw at Preston, that was, that's what you'll probably get in North Macedonia, mate. They just go absolutely wild. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's obviously something to be very proud of. And as Rob said, I've indicated before that, you know, when we were allowed to travel, uh, fortunate enough that I've got a lot of uh, relations over there and uh, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, you know, I'm an Australian, but uh, certainly my heritage is Macedonia. Very proud of it too. Good on. Zlati, we've talked about our show so often when we go out for dinner with our mates. And, oh, yes. uh, mate, uh, it is, uh, I've been waiting for the moment to get you on, and this was that very special moment. Congratulations, brother. Thank you very much. Thank you, Derek and the guys. And uh, once again, keep up the good work with Box to Box. Uh, you guys are doing a fabulous job. So uh, all the very best to you guys, and go North Macedonia! <laughs> <laughs> Slady Angelovsky, a proud Northern Macedonian uh, man of of great heritage. uh, We had uh, on our tour to Russia, we had uh, Tommy Markovsky, the brother of John Markovsky, a socceroo. Great footballer in his own right, Tom Markovsky. And he actually, because of the language in uh, North Macedonia, he actually had had on the back of his socceroo shirt, Markovsky, but in Cyrillic writing. Because obviously it's uh, it's 
similar, isn't well, it? Well, it was to funny, Russia. it is. And, we're, and not, we're walking around everywhere and all the Russians were saying, Markovsky, Markovsky. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. great. And when, when, I, when I was telling you about Zlata, you said, I bet you his name ends in SKI and you're right. <laughs> so, Derek, um, look, we haven't got much time, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we've, we've focused on North Macedonia here. But, uh, but you know, other minnows of this last couple of weeks, um, just give us the snapshot, mate. Yeah, well, I think the, the, the people that will be celebrating uh, the North Macedonia result um, just as much will be the Irish because it's kind of uh, detracted or at least deflected their own humiliation against Luxembourg and, and, and following that poor run of form. And it, and it has been discussed in the last week in various media outlets about the value of having so-called minnow teams in these qualifiers. And of course, how do you define a minnow? Macedonia, North Macedonia is certainly not a minnow. Um, Luxembourg, you would argue, aren't either because it's a slightly bigger country and a little bit more infrastructure. But we saw England obviously played um, San Marino. San Marino players were basically reduced to being, you know, practice cones uh, on on the pitch. And, and, and you've got to wonder what they as a nation or as players get out of it. And similar to poor old Edges, Gibraltar, who have just been absolutely massacred over the last three games and compared to the Nations League format where teams play in groups of similar um, similar, similar status and, and it seems to have developed their game. But it's results like this that actually go, do you know what, it's a it's big nation thinking when you, you write off teams like this at your peril. Um, and I think it's nights like this, Luxembourg, North Macedonia, that mean that these clubs have got to, or these teams have got to be given their opportunity in these games. Yeah, well said, mate. I totally agree with you. Uh, I think we all uh, agree on, We're on in that. Furious score. agreement. Right? Yeah, exactly. The football will lose, as you said. You'll, uh, and Rob Tanner was talking about empty stadiums, lose its soul if that's the case. Derek, thank you. Happy Easter, my friend. Thank you very much. Same ha- to you all. Hope the bunny provided you uh, with suitable milk chocolate. Well, I'm the Easter Bunny this time, so uh, yeah, <laughs> better get down to uh, your local supermarket chain. <laughs> well done. It's going to take over my life, Rachel. Um, well, well done. Thank you, gents. Uh, Michael, happy Easter. Happy to you, Easter to you, Rob. Looking forward to some nice Melbourne hot weather. Yeah. Easter. Damo, thank you very much sitting over there in the corner. And thank you for listening to us once again on Box to Box. We uh, had a great time uh, talking uh, football again this week, and we hope that you join us again when we talk more football in the world game next week and you will listen to us when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the world game.